uh, time to open our Bibles and read together from God's Word. We're looking this morning at uh, 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible with you, it is printed in your outlines that you received when you came in. 2 Timothy, starting at chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lewis, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, Love and self-discipline. I said, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him till that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with the faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come When people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretius has gone to Galatia and Titius to Demacia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, uh, uh, get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus in Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletius. Do your best to get there before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Prudence. Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace and be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, my name's Jeff. I'm on on staff here at St Matthew's. Uh, Lots of you will know of Trinity Theological College. Mike and I both studied there, Andrew studied there, Uh, my wife Liana and Mike's wife, Vicky, both studied there. Lots of Trinity graduates in the building today. Uh, they've got a lovely uh, Bible college building uh, in the heart of Leaderville, but they didn't start out that way. Uh, Trinity began life as the Perth Centre for Applied Christian Studies, and its building was here in Shendon Park, just down Onslow Road, uh, in the shed in, uh, at the back of the Dixon family home. This shed didn't have air conditioning. The college only had a handful of students, but they did have one thing. They had a possum living in the roof. <laughs> and so every day uh, through the, the hot summer, a handful of students and a couple of staff uh, would arrive in this tin shed and the waft of possum urine would hit them in the face uh, each and every day. Now, why start a Bible college like that? Why would you study there? Why would you work there, right? Uh, Well, it makes sense if you get to Timothy. Now, that's our task for this morning. We're aiming to get the big picture of this uh, letter. We're not going to take a detailed look at every bit. It's going to be more like a flyover, an aerial survey of the whole thing. That's why we just read the first chapter and the last chapter, a short letter, uh, four chapters in total. And what we want to do is survey the whole thing so that you can go away and read it for yourself and really dig deep into what it's saying. 
Uh, but this morning, what we want to do is have a look at the situation of the letter, uh, the purpose, really dig into why Paul wrote it, and then think about its application for us. So situation, purpose, and application. That's what we're doing this morning. The situation is Paul is in prison. So for the kids following along with your sheets, that's where he is. He's in prison. Uh, now, sometimes when Paul gets thrown into the prison, it's a little bit like kids. Uh, you're being sent to your room. You think, oh, it's not too bad. You know, I've got an Xbox in there. Well, I'll be fine. Uh, and sometimes Paul gets put into prison like that. He gets put under house arrest in Rome and he thinks, oh, it's all right. People can visit me. I'll write some letters. This will be great. Uh, but this time it's different. Let's have a look at what we can work out through this letter. Um, If you have a Bible, uh, you might like to flick through um, 2 Timothy. It's just a few pages. Um, If you've got your sheet in front of you, that will have chapter 1 and chapter 4, and I'll just read out the sections in between from chapters 2 and 3 that we refer to. So this is from chapter 2, verse 8, at the end. Uh, He says, This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And chapter 1, verse 16, he says, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. This is no easy house arrest. It's more like uh, Paul being locked away in Rome's underground prison system. Onesiphorus has to hunt for him just to find him, to work out where he's being held. And that's why uh, he has to ask Timothy to bring him some stuff in chapter 4. Have a look at verse 13. He says, When you come, uh, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Uh, Maybe he got arrested in Troas and got ripped away really quickly and couldn't go back for his belongings. And so now he's languishing there in the dungeon, in the cold, and uh, he doesn't have a cloak, nothing to write with. And there's this note of shame shame to what's happening. The thing that was so great about Onesiphorus hunting for him is that he was not ashamed of my chains. See how it says that. And uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he asks Timothy, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed. There's a real uh, sense that things uh, may have taken a, a shameful turn for Paul. He has to explain why this isn't shameful. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame. Because it's not just that he's been put in prison. He's got bigger problems than that. Uh, Look at what's happened to his church planting team. They've disintegrated. They're disintegrating, split apart by distance and defection. Uh, If you look across the whole book, it's huge, it's everywhere. Uh, You see how Paul has been separated from his team. In chapter 4, verse 16, he says, At my first defence, no one came to support me. Everyone deserted me. Uh, God brings him through that, but now he's been arrested and things are worse. Chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. See, the team is breaking up. Uh, some are deserting Demas because he loved this world. And chapter 1, verse 15, he says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including 
fireless and homogenes. Everyone, even homogenes, even he's gone. And others have left the gospel itself to head towards false teaching. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 17. This is what it says. He says, he's talking about these false teachers and he says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. So here's the situation. He's uh, chained up in prison, hearing about uh, the church going septic and rotten and his team disintegrating. Shame coming upon him. Just stop for a moment. And consider where Paul's at. How do you think he's feeling about his life's work, about his ministry effectiveness? It's pretty bad. And so he sends this desperate, despairing letter to Timothy. Except it's really not, is it? Uh, If you've read through to Timothy, uh, it's not a despairing letter at all. Full of confidence. Uh, Why is that? Well, uh, we'll get to that question in a bit. That's the situation, uh, but first we need to think about the purpose. What's the purpose of this letter? And the immediate purpose is there uh, at the start and at the finish. And so chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And then at the end, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly. And then 4.21, Do your best to get here before winter. I could really use that cloak. That's the practical purpose, and we shouldn't miss that. Uh, Paul needs help. He needs the encouragement of a brother to bring him some joy. Uh, He needs uh, his cloak. He needs his parchments to write on. He needs his gospel partners. But you don't need four chapters to ask someone to come visit you. Uh, And so to Timothy... Uh, actually does much more than ask Timothy to come. Uh, It sets Timothy a call to guard the gospel. Uh, That's that's the key verse there, chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, Ollie read it wonderfully for us. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit. That's the call. Uh, My guess is that Paul is not sure if Timothy will... Uh, Come and find him or a dead body. Uh, Have a look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He means uh, the the time when he might die. He, He feels like it's near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So Paul wants him to come, uh, but he also realizes that this could be his last chance to talk to him. And so this is a manifesto for Timothy, a call to follow Paul in the same steps, to keep the faith, to live out and suffer for and pass on the gospel of Jesus. That's what's at the heart of this letter, this call to guard the gospel, to live out, to suffer for and to pass on the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to take some time now just to dig into those uh, three big purposes, to live out, to suffer for, and to pass on the gospel of Jesus. So first, Paul calls Timothy to live out the gospel. His first task is to guard the gospel in him. 
Right? You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in chapter 2. Uh, he's to keep the faith in himself, to remember where he got it from. Uh, if you have a look at chapter 3, he says, uh, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, know what you believe and stand firm in it. Uh, to get a straight line, you need uh, two points. And so Timothy is look to look back at the faith of Paul uh, built on, to, on the scriptures, to know his faith built on the scriptures and to set a straight line for the future. Did you know uh, that Queensland has stolen a bunch of land from the Northern Territory. Um, in 1884, uh, the people who marked out the border uh, were meant to head true north uh, along the 138 degree line, but they were just a smidge off, just a tiny amount, uh, but enough to be off by about 10 millimetres um, every 100 metres or so. But because that border is so long, when you get to the end, actually it's a huge slice of land that they've taken. And the same is true for the gospel. You can end up a long way off the truth if you head out in the wrong direction. But Timothy is to set an exact course to have the scriptures set his life and faith. He's to live out the gospel for himself. So firstly... uh, Paul sets Timothy this uh, task to live out the gospel, but that will also mean that he'll have to suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They go together like peas and carrots, love and marriage, chicken and rice, Jesus and persecution. They go together. And so if Timothy is to guard the gospel, uh, then it's going to cost him. Just like it cost people in the early days of Trinity. Uh, Just like it cost Paul. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering uh, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's going to be persecution and there's going to be hard work, he says, like a soldier, like a farmer, like an athlete. Uh, A friend of mine uh, from Trinity, actually, went up to the northwest um, to work in an Anglican church there, but the boom was still on at the time, and so uh, they had to live in this tiny fibro shack, uh, which the church could barely afford, and then they had to move in with the other Anglican minister in town, uh, two big families in this one house, uh, just trying to be there so that they could hold out the gospel. It's hard work. Uh, live out, suffer for and pass on. An essential part of guarding the gospel, uh, Paul saying to Timothy, is that it be passed on. That's what Timothy has to do. Have a look at chapter 4 with me. This, this section is worth reading out again. Verse 1, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy is to preach, to pass it on, to stand against false teaching and to build faith in others. 
That's how he's going to guard the gospel. Now, imagine you had the task of guarding croquet, right? So the current prediction is that croquet uh, will be gone by 2037. So less than 20 years, no more croquet. Uh, How would you go about preserving it, right? Now, you could make sure that there were good croquet handbooks available, uh, some uh, how-to videos on YouTube. But that's not enough, right? Because croquet's a game. It's it's meant to be played. Uh, Croquet's only alive if there's people playing it. Uh, And it's not even enough for you to keep playing it, right? Because you're going to die. And so you need to be able to pass it on. And even more than that, you might be able to pass it on, but... You know, you can't be the only one who can pass it on. You need to uh, help others to be able to pass on the how to play croquet. Uh, you need to find people younger than you who will pass it on after you're gone. And that's what Paul's done. He's passed it on to Timothy, and he wants Timothy to do the same. This is what he's saying in uh, to Timothy in chapter two. He says, "You then, my son." So you're my son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So he wants Timothy to pass on the gospel just as Paul has passed it on to him. And here's the thing, right? The gospel is not like croquet. You can quote me on that. Kids, write that down. The gospel is not like croquet. It's not some outdated thing just for kind of old rich people to pass the time away. Uh, The gospel is life, right? It's the very source of life. In chapter 1 we read it, uh, that it's Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel reveals God's grace destroys death. Jesus brings life and immortality to light. And the world needs that message. Needs it desperately. The world doesn't need croquet. Even if it was the best sport in the world, just let it die. It can go. But it needs the gospel. The good deposit. Uh, Literally, the beautiful treasure. Uh, It's precious. And Timothy is charged with guarding it. uh, The way that you would uh, guard a palace against intruders. He's to guard the gospel. Uh, Paul sends him this letter telling him to live out, to suffer for, and to pass on the message of eternal life. That's Paul's charge to Timothy. Uh, We've seen the situation Uh, We've seen the purpose of this letter, and now finally, we want to ask the question, how do we apply this uh, for us? How do we apply the big picture of 2 Timothy to our lives? And I think, actually, it's the same call. Uh, Will you join Paul and Timothy in a line of faithful people who will live out, suffer for, and pass on the gospel of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, will you guard the gospel today? Paul isn't around anymore. Uh, Neither is Timothy, neither is Clement of Rome, uh, neither is Elizabeth Elliot. They're all gone. And it's not not enough just to have books 
uh, to have everything on the Gospel Coalition online. Uh, The Gospel only works if people live it out, if people believe it and hold on to it with their lives. It needs to be kept safe and passed on by people who live it out. Uh, Now, you and me, we're not not special, right? Uh, God could raise up stones for this task uh, if he wanted to. It's not that somehow we're special, but we do have a special task, uh, a special job that God has given to us. And here we are, UCI 2019. Uh, God is asking us, will we guard the gospel for our lifetime? That's one question for you and me. Uh, The other thing to see is how this is a team effort. Uh, You see that in lots of uh, the letters in the Bible, but especially here in 2 Timothy. It's a short letter, but it's got heaps of names. And you see how much Paul needs his friends. Uh, You see the pain of people deserting the team. Uh, Guarding the gospel needs everyone. It needs all hands on deck. It needs practical support like cloaks and books and a shed in a backyard. It needs all these things. It needs the encouragement and the joy and the tears of each other as we work together for the gospel. So will you be part of a team like that? Too bad, you already are. Um, If you uh, call UCI your home, then uh, guess what? That's exactly how Mike and Vicky think of you. That's how Andrew sees you. Uh, Partners in guarding the gospel. You've already got that job, so congratulations. Uh, But that is a big job. And so I want to finish uh, by looking at Paul's confidence. Uh, Things couldn't be worse for Paul. Uh, Facing execution, deserted by his team, uh, in jail, winter is coming. Uh, But the letter still seems confident, not despairing. How is that? Well, it's because this is God's project and not Paul's project. It's God's project, not Paul's project. Uh, God supplies the power for guarding the gospel. Have a look there in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's how he's going to do it. And chapter 1, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. See that? The power comes from God. You want to see the power of God at work? It's there in guarding the good, depo- good, the good deposit, guarding the gospel, to stand up under suffering and to hold on to the gospel. That is where God's power is at work in people. I don't know if you've ever uh, read a kind of Christian biographies, um, stories about people who were uh, martyred or uh, missionaries going out and you think, wow, I could could never do something like that. And of course, of course you couldn't. They couldn't either. It's God's power at work in them that makes it possible to happen. And that's where Paul's confidence is. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 12. He says, That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he, he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Uh, Now, this verse is a little confusing because it sounds like Paul has given God something to guard, his life or his soul, perhaps. 
but the way that it's written, it actually says that he is able to guard my deposit. That is Paul's deposit. Paul's deposit is the gospel, the thing that he's guarding. God is able to guard Paul's gospel. Now, that feels a little bit redundant to say that God is able to guard the gospel, of course. But you have to remember Paul's situation, right? Everything seems lost. Everything. And so it's exactly what he needs to remember, that God is committed to guarding his gospel. God is able to guard that beautiful treasure that Paul has held. And that's why uh, people started Trinity College all those years ago, uh, even in the weakness of those uh, small beginnings, uh, because they were convinced that God is able to guard the gospel, that the message of life and immortality is precious, that it needs to be lived out and suffered for and passed on. So the question for us is, will we guard the gospel in our lifetime too?